Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. Hey, listen, before we get into the message today, can we just welcome everybody who's joining us online at home at Jeffco Jail. We love you. We are for you. Please know. Please know that it is the same for you to join online because of maybe things in your life that you don't feel comfortable. It's totally okay. Don't let the enemy lie to you about that. You celebrate with us. We're with you. You're with us. We're meeting God together. Amen. So that's what we want. Also, I do want to give you a heads up. Hey, listen, um, how many enjoyed the Rib City this week? Come on, did you get some? Come on. That's awesome. Awesome. We continue to hear just great testimonies of they can't believe that we'd be so crazy and do something like that, that all of us um, would, uh, would call up and order something and just say, hey, we just want to let you know we love you, we support you. And doing this for these folks close to Christmas is, means more than you can imagine. It's a little something, but it's also something that tells the community we we are actually here. Like, it's not like we want our community to be better because we're here. We, our community will be better because we are here. And we want to make sure that we continue to do that. Um, so I want to give you another place to go this week. And uh, this is, uh, now this, this one's a little different because, um, actually, they're just right over here. They're a little different because it's a coffee shop. But let me share with you. The, the gal who purchased this coffee shop, um, which is House of Jays, um, she purchased it in March. And so she's been doing her best. And they serve great coffee. Everything she uses is locally sourced. It's all Colorado. So by supporting her, you're, you're supporting other businesses here. And so um, I, I've been in there several times, had several meetings there, gotten to know her a little bit. And so I just thought it'd be great if we could, you know, I know we're all busy this week. We're running all over the place. If you could just order a coffee from House of Jays right over here. Um, they're open from 7 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Monday Tuesday and Wednesday, and so they are closed today, but Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, 7 to 2, order a coffee, or you can jump on their website, which we have right, houseofjays.coffee, isn't that funny, they got a dot coffee now, anyway, houseofjays.coffee, and order um, a gift card for somebody, and, or for yourself, whatever it is, and let's show her some love, and when you, when you call, or whatever, just say, hey, listen, I'm from Faith Bible Chapel, we want to, we want to show you support. Now, when we reached out to her, she was like, okay, make sure you tell them, to tell me they're from Faith, and I'll give them a 10% discount, so that's your hint to tip 10% more, okay, just so you're aware, tip her well, bless her, be generous, and uh, it'll be a real blessing to her. So also, I want to let you know that we we have something here that's called Bible U, and it's an opportunity in our partnership with Joshua Nations. Um, it's, our, it's our delight to be able to disciple people in the Word of God. And so we have teachers, and Jason and Anna Holland, um, who are one of our missionaries. We're so grateful for you guys. We really are. Um, they, all, they, they start these Bible schools all over the world, and, uh, and we said, could you start one for us? And they did, and it's fantastic, and Jason does a lot of teaching. Anna administrates the whole thing, and he brings in other teachers. But we have uh, we've really just been so grateful for people grow, going deep in the Word, understanding the Word in, in a more succinct, systematic way that for you can understand more and more of God. And so we're grateful for that. But we had... Eight of you graduate, and we just want to say congratulations to that. Come on, let's give them a hand. So cool. 
And uh, if you want to know more about it, when you can sign up, which we will be again relaunched in the beginning of the year, it's faith.church slash Bible U, and you can, you can do that. So guys, listen, our Christmas services are coming up this week. How many excited for Christmas? Come on, it's going to be good. I'm really pumped, really pumped. And we have our four services, Tuesday and Wednesday at 6.30. And then Thursday, we have two at 3 and 5. And uh, we just want to remind you of these services that come on out. God's going to meet you there. Our team has been planning. We've been working. It's going to be an amazing night for you to meet with God, be encouraged, find the peace that only Jesus can bring in your life. And so you can grab a card just to help us plan of what you're thinking. Um, and then if you grab a card that's yellow and you decide, actually, I'm going to go on Thursday and say, it's okay, you can come. Nobody's checking cards at the door. You all are welcome. But please come and bring some folks with you. If you know folks who don't have a church um, Christmas service to go to because their church isn't meeting, invite them, tell them to come out. Let's be the body of Christ. It's going to be a great time. But also, I, I, one of the reasons I wanted to say this right before the message is that during this service, we're going to do something really special. We're actually going to bring a gift for Jesus. And so that gift, it's a financial gift that God would lead you to do. Um, it's going to be to help serve uh, the poor and the needy and, and to help us as a church be able to administer that and serve them. We are anticipating needs this year in 2021. And so we want to be the church that meets the needs, that puts foods, food and bellies and clothes on people and shoes on kids. And we serve them and give them dignity and help them. That is what the church is to be. And so that offering that you bring is going to be used, uh, part of that is going to be used to serve that and to, and to minister to that. And so I would just encourage you to think about what you'd like to bring. And then in that moment, um, you can do it. And you can do it online. You could do it here when you come. But just be thinking about that as a Christmas gift to Jesus because the Lord, he delights in his church that serves the poor and needy. And so we want to step up and whatever that may be, God will meet you, whatever that is. If you think it doesn't matter, it does matter to God. And as you give, he will multiply that. So just be prepared for that. And as we all come and do that, it's going to be a lot of fun as we worship Jesus by bringing him a gift at our Christmas service. It's going to be a lot of fun. But guys, what an, a beautiful time that we are in right now of Christmas. This is my, uh, one of my favorite seasons of the year. One, because we all have permission to actually like hang out and, and appreciate each other and we're, we're and, you know, it's decorating and loving and it's just wonderful we give gifts and that's I think what I like about what all of us like about it is this, it's we are giving things to other people and, and all these psychological studies show that if you give and serve other people, you will be more healthy mentally and emotionally than if you're just receiving all the time. Matter of fact, some some psychologists will prescribe individuals to go and serve, serve at a soup kitchen, serve it at a homeless shelter, because by doing that, it causes, God, because that's how God created us, as we give, he meets us by his grace as, as we give. And it's just this really interesting thing, but I think Christmas is that time that our, our, our endorphins are up a little bit and we're giving and loving. And this is such a special time. But what I love about this is the, the characters of the Christmas story of the arrival of Jesus. And we've had the chance of walking through them and looking at them and we've been challenged by them. But today I, I want to talk to you about maybe someone that's not as known. I'd like to take us on a journey today in the story of Christmas and look at some more people involved in the Christmas account from the Gospel of Matthew. And these people, they, they traveled a long way. 
It was a long journey. We don't know know their names. Um, We don't have a lot of biblical details about them, but they are in the Christmas story. That's what we do know. And so these people found themselves coming to a home, Joseph and Mary's home, and Jesus was there. And we find these folks in the Christmas story. And so for 2,000 years, the Christmas story has been told and people have been experiencing it and people have been excited about the arrival of the Son of God on the earth. But I want to share with you from a place that maybe you could understand a little more of the story. And so this Christmas story from the Gospel of Matthew, I'm going to tell a story today. And really, it's more of like if you were writing a a movie script, and we're going to look at some scenes, scenes one, two, and the final scene today. And many times when you start a story, you need to be introduced to the characters. And so I titled this message, The Journey to Jesus, and we're going to look at scene one, which are the characters, the Magi. Now, the Magi are people that we're introduced to out of Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. I don't know if you've ever asked the question, why the Magi? What do they have to do with anything? Why is this important? Why does the Christmas story include the Magi? There's a lot of mystery around the Magi. There's a lot of really interesting thoughts around the Magi. And these men just weren't wise. They they were known to be astrologers. They were students of the stars. And they were part of a group that had been developing over generation after generation after generation, passing knowledge on generation after generation. Actually, their name Magi is where we get the name the Magician. But when when I talk about the Magi, you need to get out of your head David, David Copperfield or David Blaine or whatever. Get that out of your head. That's not who these men were. They were different. They were mysterious. We don't know all the little bits and pieces about their life. And I know our tradition many times put, puts three wise men at a manger and I don't want to pop your, your kind of Christmas bubble, but the Bible doesn't tell, doesn't tell us how many there were. And probably our conclusion of three is that um, we know they, there were three gifts that were brought to Jesus and also the carol that we've been singing our whole lives, We Three Kings. You're like, well, come on, it's We Three Kings, right? So we don't know how many, but another thing we don't know is we don't know their names. Now, there's some... There, there's some speculation, their names were this and this and this, but we don't know their names. And I know there are a lot of people, you're like, well, but if we don't know, then how can we move forward? Listen, there is a lot of stuff we may not know, but this account has a lot of things we do know. It's fascinating about the Christmas story. Number one, where did they come from? And the Bible says this, the Magi came from the east. So in our first scene, we're introduced to the characters, and we get to see where they came from. In the first verse, we read, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. So they didn't travel east, they traveled west because they were in the east. So the star that they, that they saw, they followed it and traveled west. They followed it west, which kind of blows up another carol song, but I'm not going to get into that These men were people of great power, great influence. They were well-known. And they probably did not travel alone over a long distance because they would have a caravan. They would have people to protect them. 
One, we, we know that they had expensive gifts with them that they were bringing. So it would have been many people traveling. This was not some astrology field, you know, field trip they were going on. These men were purposeful. They were well-known and they were respected in different roles of politics and religion. They were known, their group was known to have much knowledge of mathematics and, and uh, science and agriculture. They were very well respected and called upon by go- government leaders and kings to help them solve issues. And these magi also had to have some money. They were, they were wealthy individuals. But these types of men, many times you think, well, wow, that's weird that they're mentioned right there in Matthew. But I don't know if you're aware of this. This is not the first time we've been introduced to magi in the scriptures. In order to go back to the first time that we were introduced, you'd have to go 600 years earlier in the book of Daniel. I don't know if you know much about Daniel, but Daniel was taken as a slave and he served in Babylon. But these The Magi were listed in the book of Daniel as some of the most um, highest ranking officials in Babylon. And in one instance, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. Well, he called these Magi to help him interpret it. They didn't have a clue. Then Daniel came, he interpreted it. And because of that, King Nebuchadnezzar made Daniel the leader of the Magi. It says that he was appointed as ruler over Uh, He was the chief prefect over the wise men of Babylon. So here's Daniel. He's Jewish. Now he's the leader of of the magi, of the most influential, called upon, wealthy individuals within this kingdom. So here he is. Well, he's Daniel. He's a a good, he's he's a man of God. He's a follower of God, and he's Jewish. So he begins naturally to tell them about the Jewish teaching. He begins to tell them about a a, a babe that will be born. Begins to tell them about a Messiah that's been promised. Begins to tell them prophetically what God has shown him and what is to come. So he would have taught them the Jewish teachings. He would have spoke of, of there is a leader that's coming from Israel who will be the king. That nations will come then flock to him. And he will be a light in the midst of darkness. So... What do we know then? How do we know that they, that they knew that? Well, this, we don't know much about them, but what we do know is what they did know, which is this. They knew that there was a king of the Jews. They knew that there was a king of the Jews, and they knew a star would help them find him. You ever thought, how'd they know there was a king of the Jews? How'd they know, hey, we follow that star, we will find the king of the Jews, Someone told them. They weren't Jewish. They weren't from Israel. They didn't grow up in Jewish culture. Someone told them. I think it was Daniel. Matthew 2.2 says, as they came into Jerusalem, this is what they asked. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? They were looking for this king of the Jews that they knew about. They They had studied and found in scripture. We saw his star. I love his star when it rose and have come to worship him. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, just like this was not the first mention of Magi, actually, in the Bible. This is not the first mention of a star either. There's an Old Testament story that's actually connected to why they understood this, why they knew that they needed to follow a star. Fascinating story out of Numbers chapter 22. 
Now, Numbers is a journey. It's, it's, it's the historical record of God's people from Mount Sinai all the way up to the, right before they stepped into the promised land, which is Israel. So it's the story, what's going on. Well, the, the children of Israel had grown, had grown in power and in influence. And so as they were making their way to the promised land, as they came across other kings and other nations, those nations and kings were kind of threatened because these were powerful this was a powerful nation that was traveling. They knew God was with them. They knew. They'd heard all the stories of they, when, when they step into a battle, you're going to lose if you're not on their side. They knew that. And king, the king of Moab, which his name was Balak, he knew they were, they were upon him. So he called a guy named Balaam. Now, Balaam is really interesting. But he calls this guy named Balaam. And he, he wants, the king wants Balaam to curse the children of Israel. So he didn't like him because he didn't want his pagan power threatened. So he says, Balaam, I want you to curse him. But the Bible calls Balaam, he says that who he is, he says he's a magician and a seer, meaning magi and highly educated. There's some prophetic incl- inclinings about Balaam. So he says, I want you to come and I want you to curse Israel. So Balaam says, all right, I'll do it. How much are you going to pay me? So he comes and he tries to, but the Lord would not let him curse the people of God. He makes it very clear. You're not to curse them. I want you to bless them. So he actually submits to God, obeys God, and he, and he blesses them three times. But it said the third time, I want you to catch this real quick. Why were they following a star? Numbers 24, 16. This is what Balaam starts to say. The prophecy of the one who hears the words of God, who has knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate and those eyes are open. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. Now look, a star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. These magi, they knew their Bible. They knew the Jewish Bible. Daniel had taught them well. So, and God here was prophetically speaking of the coming anointed one, the coming savior of the world. And this account in Matthew of the Magi from the east following a star to the king of the Jews is a fulfillment of prophecy of a star. And now we get to see the king who is the scepter out of Israel. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who came as the Messiah and to lead and to rule from Israel. This is amazing. When you think about these pieces, I love this. It's like, this is so cool. So a prophecy of a star, a light of the nations would be coming. Not just found in Numbers, but also it's found towards the end of the book of Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus was ever born. And what I love about how Isaiah speaks it, it is so hopeful. It is the nations flooding to Jesus. But this is what it says, arise and shine for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, thick darkness over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you. And his glory appears over you. Nations will come to you to your light. The kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar and your daughters are are carried on the hip. 
Then you will look and be radiant, and your hearts will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you. To you, the riches of the nations will come. Now listen. Herds of camels will cover your land. Now remember, the Magi would have traveled with camels and a, and a, and a whole entourage with them. Young camels of Midian and Ephah. And all from Sheba will come. Now listen. Bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. This is a fulfillment of the Magi and Matthew is a fulfillment of Isaiah 60, 700 years. What did they bring? They brought gold and they brought frankincense and myrrh, which is incense. And what did they do? They fell and they gave praise and they worshiped the Lord. They knew this. And they were fulfilling what they knew they were to do. And so once again, we have the promise from Isaiah that the nations will come to the shining light of Jesus Christ. That they would bring gifts and riches as an act of worship to the light which we know is the light of Jesus Christ. It's such a powerful picture really of the Christmas story. That when you have out of Matthew the first people bowing and worshiping Jesus are from the nations of the world. They have come and they are worshiping. And for the Magi, it made a lot of sense that they would come to Jerusalem. That's the capital of God's people. It's where the child was prophesied would come. It makes a lot of sense. So, of course, they roll in to town, to Jerusalem, asking where is the king of the Jews. But what they find is really interesting or probably shocking. Everybody looks at them with a blank stare. They're like, what are you talking about? You're looking for the king of the Jews? I, I, don't, know, I don't know what you're talking about. But it was in, in no, one, no one knowing how to answer their question that we get really to the, to the next scene. And in every good story, you need a villain. You need somebody who's out to get somebody. And that villain in this story, scene two, is King Herod. King Herod is the villain. Matthew 2, verses 3 through 4, when King Herod heard that these men were asking, where's the king of the Jews? He was disturbed and all of Israel with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. So Herod's on a hunt now. He says, excuse me, somebody else said that there's another person that's king of the Jews? I'm going to find him. This was a problem for King Herod because he had been given, because he was a European Roman leader that was placed to lead that area, he was given the title by the Roman Senate, King of the Jews. So when he heard some wealthy people were rolling in the town asking, hey, where's the king of the Jews? And, and they said, well, you're talking about Herod? No, not that guy, not that loser. I'm looking for the real king of the Jews. He was probably frustrated. He was disturbed. He was thinking, uh-uh, uh-uh. i got to snuff out this, this, this person they're looking for. He was an insecure leader. He was so insecure, actually. According to history, that he had some wives along the way that actually he thought weren't in support of him and children. And so how he dealt with them is he murdered them. He was insecure. The Jewish priests that he met with, very interesting here, they didn't know anything about king of the Jews. They didn't, they didn't put two and two together. And the question for me is why? Their whole life was about studying scripture and they didn't even know that they didn't, this didn't ring any bells. 
They didn't know. Oh, oh the, yes, there's a prophecy. They didn't tell him. To me, it just reveals that they were so enamored with their own power and their own just whatever they, they were into, religion, that they missed the Savior of their lives. Well, Herod has to figure out how to extinguish the threat. And later in the story, which I won't talk about today, we find out how he does it or he tries to. So after Herod hears, they're asking questions. We find in verse 7, it says, Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. So Herod's collecting information. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Hey, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. He was deceptive. He was manipulative to protect his own power. And later we found out he then tries to extinguish all boys two years old and younger from Bethlehem. But this is the villain. And we find out later that the Magi went to him. They talked with him. They actually thought he was probably sincere. And it says this in verse 9, after they had heard the king, they went through their way. Now, right after they left Herod, somehow, we don't know the timeline, the star they had, they had seen when it rose went ahead of them. So it started moving. So this is some divine, it's, and, and, until it stopped over the place where the child was. This is fascinating because now we come to the final scene in this beautiful story of these magi, which is the encounter. The magi finally make it to Jesus. I can only imagine what they were feeling. They had been on a journey. They had, they had studied the scriptures. They had been shared all the way from Daniel down to where they are now about the one who would become the king of the Jews. And the, so the star stops, and they begin to follow. Can you imagine the discussions as it stopped that they had along the way to find the king of the Jews? What are we going to do when we find him? What, what, what are we going to do? I wonder what, his, I wonder what his, his castle looks like. I wonder what, I wonder how many servants the king of the Jews has. I wonder how wealthy he may be. They didn't know. But they see the star stop and they begin to follow it. And so they begin to get a little closer. They get a little closer. And they come to the star that had to be right over the house of Joseph the carpenter. And they look at each other, is this it? The star's right there. So you can imagine they come in, they knock on the door. Now they, and they traveled there because again they had gifts and they were probably protecting themselves and they travel and they knock on the door and Mary opens the door, can I help you? And what I love about this interaction is that we sense in their hearts as they come to the house of Jesus. They didn't let the carpenter's house somehow disqualify him. 
They didn't let, let the, the humbleness of his life disqualify. They didn't let that no one knew who he was. Well, maybe, oh, never mind. Maybe he's not that important and, and, and maybe we don't need to go to him. There was none of that in their minds. There, nothing in their minds was, what can this king do for me? It was they were on a mission to do something for this king. So they begin, they knock on the door, Mary answers it. And I, I can't imagine the joy and the gladness. What we know in scripture is that they were moved deeply. I, I'm sure that the, the brightness on their face, this is what we've been waiting for. And how they, when they, how they respond to Jesus when they come into the house is truly, I want you to hear me today, it is the only appropriate way that any human should ever respond to Jesus. These important, wealthy, well-trained, well-educated, powerful, everybody they were well-known, their names were known, they were known in their own nations, they were known in other nations. They walk into this humble house of the carpenter and their first response to Jesus is to bow down and to worship a child. The scripture goes on to say, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. They bowed down. Bowed. They understood. These, these are men who have been in the presence of kings. They understood. You only bow when you were in the presence of one that is far superior than you. And that's exactly what these wise men are saying. They bow. And after they gave Jesus the worship of their hearts and the expression of their lives and they bowed as a physical manifestation of what they had already done in their hearts, Jesus receives his first love offering. Out of verse 11 says this, Then they opened their treasures and presented to him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold and incense. And they worshiped him. Not just with their words, not just with their bodies, but with an offering to him. And I believe these, these gifts, they were not coincidental. When you know the, the whole story of Jesus, we know that I, I believe that the gold that was brought was representing the royalty and the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe the frankincense was emphasizing the deity of Jesus, that this just is not a king of the Jews, as this is the king of the whole world. This is the king that came to save the whole world. He is royalty, but he is also God with us. Then you have myrrh. Myrrh is a, it's a fragrance that's used on, on many different things throughout scripture. And they present myrrh, which actually is representing the humility not only of Jesus, but of themselves. They are humbling themselves, but also recognizing the humility of Jesus. And here you have the, the magi that have come. And they brought myrrh. 
And not only were they presenting myrrh, because interesting, later in Scripture we find that myrrh had another place in the life of Jesus. So not only were they presenting myrrh to the king in the cradle, we find out later that when Jesus is on the cross, they offer him wine mixed with myrrh. And myrrh was offered now to the king on the cross. These things are pointing to the life, the significance, the righteousness, what the life of Jesus demands when we are in his presence, the humility of Jesus that he came to save us. So what does this account of the Magi have anything to do with you and me? The account of the Magi is the story of Christmas, and it reveals and it shows us that we have an invitation from God to come and see Jesus. To come and see him, to come experience him, to come and know him. Even if you've been walking with God for, for many, many years, the story of Christmas is like there's always more of Jesus to see. There's always more of his love to find. There's always more of, of who he is, the, the depth of who he is to impact your life and transform you and change you. What this year of 2020 has revealed for all of us is that we need a little bit more Jesus. Amen? The story of Christmas is then come and get it because he's available. The story of Christmas is God inviting you and me to express your, your, to actually really to joyfully offer to you his love. And for us to joyfully offer to him a life of worship as a follower. Not just with our words, not just with our once a week things, not just, no, 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 no. Story of Christmas and what the Magi show us. Is that God joyfully offers and invites you to give your whole life to Jesus. To give your whole life to him. Every part of your life to him. The Magi, when they first come on the scene, they're asking the question, have you, have you seen the king of the Jews? And then after this encounter, I'm sure they were like, have you seen the king of the Jews? When you come and you, and you see Jesus for really who he is, when you see the Christmas story for really what it is, and you see the example of the Magi, the wealthy, powerful, well-connected men, that ran in the circles with kings and queens, when they get into the presence of Jesus, all they can do is bow and worship him. That we, like the Magi, could see Jesus this way. It changed your life. So many times we think, you know what, yes, God, I, you know, I, I'll give you this portion of my life, and I'll, I'll give you this. But these these pieces, I, 
you know, I'm just going to keep. But he came. They came and they gave everything to Jesus. You can come to the king and you can see him. And when you see him, the response will be give everything to him. We, we seek him when we, when we come close to him in prayer. And we give everything. We see him when we gather in his house, in person or, or, or online. We, we seek him and we give him all that we have. When we come to him, we are to be like the magi and worship him. And give him all glory and all honor with our life, with our, with our gold, our frankincense and myrrh, thousands of miles I have traveled. We're to withhold nothing from the king. So if that's true, if we believe that, that actually the royalty, the humility, the deity of Jesus demands all of our lives, if we actually believe that, that the question for us this Christmas is what have we withheld from him? Have we been worshiping in part or in whole? And here's the beautiful thing about the work of Jesus. He came, he came for our own brokenness. He came to become our sin. He came to take the punishment he, that we deserve upon himself. He came, the babe in a manger came in your emptiness. And you're thinking, Jason, I got nothing to offer Jesus. Yeah, you do. You actually do. Your whole life, which includes your pain, includes your bitterness, includes your moral failures, includes your broken heart, includes your bad financial decisions. It includes your failed relationships. It includes, it includes a, a lust that you've been struggling with. It, it includes your addiction. It includes everything about your life. And you say, I can't give that to Jesus. It's not a gift. And in Jesus' eyes, it's all he wants because that's why he came. He wants it. So the question this Christmas is, what are you withholding from Jesus what, what are you keeping from him? And the story of Jesus is he invites us to give him as an act of worship everything. And by giving him everything, you are, again, you are bowing below him, understanding you are greater and I am not. Therefore, I can give you what I can't deal with myself. You are worthy and I am not. Therefore, I will give you everything in my life. You are the king of the Jews and the king of my life. Therefore, I bow before you and give you everything. I hold nothing back from you, Jesus. I lay it all bare. I'm naked before you. Receive me. And he says, that's what I've been waiting on. On. What are you withholding? The Holy Spirit is speaking to you now. What are you withholding? And the Holy Spirit doesn't reveal things to us so He can condemn us, He reveals 
our need while revealing our solution, which is Jesus. And I would encourage you this Christmas, give your whole life to Jesus. Don't keep back this portion. Yes, but you know, I, I, I like this. It feeds my flesh. Listen, hey, Jesus, you can have all this, but I, I, no, sorry. I, this is what I, I want to keep this. I, 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 I want to keep this area of, of my sexuality because, you know, it's, it's, it's my thing, okay? I, it's, it doesn't affect anybody else. Jesus says, I, I, I want that one thing. Maybe it's, a, it's an addiction. You think, it's, no, it's fine, it's fine. I, it, it's okay, I, I don't really, you know, everything else, but I, this, this feeds me. Jesus says, I want all of you. Maybe it's finance. You thought, no, Jesus, you can have everything. These, these finances are mine. I'm, you know, thanks. Thanks, you can have this, but I'm going to keep this. Jesus says, I want all of you. Maybe it's a broken marriage. And you're just getting by the holidays. And, man, you're like, man, we can't talk about anything too serious because it's going to turn into a fight like it always does anyway. So, you know, I'm just, just we're just going to get past this, okay? And we're going to put the face on and, and, and you think, I, I can't give this to Jesus. It's so broken. I've made mistakes. They've made mistakes. The bitterness and the, and the tension is already there. Jesus says, I want all of you. Give it to me. The only appropriate way to respond to Jesus is like the Magi. is to bow. And to worship. <laughs> to bow and to give him everything. And we will spend the rest of our lives continuing to bow. Continuing to say, Lord, I'm sorry I've been holding this. I give it back. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry that I've been, God, I give it back. But it's the only appropriate way to respond to the God of the universe that shaped you, knit you, formed you together in your mother's womb. Knowing you could do nothing for you, he sent his son to die. And that journey began as a babe in a manger. And Christmas reminds us he deserves it all. He deserves it all. Hold nothing back from Jesus. Which leads us to the reality that Jesus just didn't come to be born as a babe in a manger. He came not just to be a king in the cradle. He became the king on the cross bearing your sin. He became the king on the cross Feeling for the first time in his life guilt and shame, and it wasn't his, it was yours. As the king on the cross, he then became the king of the grave, that his body tasted death. He breathed a last breath of his physical body. He not only tasted the grave, he tasted hell. 
And scripture says that he preached to those who had the souls that had gone ahead of him. And he became not only the king of the cradle, the cradle, the king of the cross, he became the king of the grave, then he became the king of hell, so that all those who call upon his name, he can become the king of your life. That's what he did. And we come today appropriately celebrating Christmas through us taking communion together. If we can, let's all stand to our feet. Around the room are tables with these communion cups. If you don't have one, you can step out of your seat and just go grab one. Also, when you walked in, they were available. And we're going to be taking communion together, celebrating Christmas together. I think the greatest way that we can honor Christmas is by remembering why Jesus came. And again, when you see Jesus for who he is, when you understand like the Magi that showed up and they realized this is the one that 700 years ago Daniel spoke of, this is the one that the nations are going to come to, this is the one who's going to be the king of the world, they responded out of gratitude and thanksgiving. And we're going to do that today. Scripture says that Jesus, he met with his disciples, started talking to them about something that's coming. I know these are a little difficult, so you can start taking the cellophane off the top, and then the next one is, opens it up for the, for the juice here. But he says, listen, and they were still wrapping their heads around why Jesus came. They were still like, I don't know what's going to happen. Is he going to like overthrow the Roman government? And they were still wrapping their heads, but Jesus gathered them the night before he was betrayed, the night he was betrayed. And he says this, this is, he held up a cup and they were celebrating Passover. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant. In other words, boys, things are about to be really different. And then he said this, this represents my blood that's poured out for you. In the same way he took the bread and he blessed it. He broke and he said, this is my body that's being broken for you. The journey from the manger to the cross was so that Jesus became us. He lived the life we could, the perfect life we could never live. And then he died the death that we deserved. And that's what he was talking about. The blood he was about to shed was going to be for us. And the bread represents the, the punishment upon his body was for us to have access to healing, have access to peace, have access to his life. And the blood was to cleanse us of our sins. So we celebrate as a church Christmas through the taking of communion. And so I would encourage you right now, think for a minute, what is it? that you have not given to Jesus. What is it? Don't be ashamed. Don't, don't be, don't. Allow yourself to go there because it's in that surrender that you will experience the reason Jesus came is for your full and absolute freedom. So just take a moment.
Just close your eyes just for a moment. And just right, right where you are, whatever the Holy Spirit reveals to you, just speak it out right now. Lord, I give my marriage to you. I give this addiction to you. I give my generosity to you. I give my finances to you. I give my health to you. I give my children to you. I give my mind to you. Lord, I give my anxiety to you. I give my depression to you. Lord, I give my loss of a job to you. And Lord, I bow down and I worship you. I bow down and I give you my whole life. And so, Lord, as I surrender to you, I recognize that I have nothing in my own power to change me or to meet me where I am. But what I hold in my hand right now represents the life that I desperately want. And so, Lord, today, we as brothers and sisters of this church and online, we take this wafer that represents the body, your body, that was beaten and took upon itself the punishment I deserve. Let's eat the wafer together. And Lord, today we as a church represent, we recognize what this blood represents and we acknowledge that it is only by your blood that we can be saved. And so, Lord, as before we take this, we also recognize that you came to die for the people in our lives that frustrate us, that we have to struggle with, that cause us tension. But you saw value in them enough that you gave your life. So, Lord, I, as we take this today, may we see you as the king of our lives, but also may we see those around us like you see them they're worthy to serve and they're worthy to offer your grace to. But Lord, we do take this cup that represents your blood as the shedding of your blood on a cross for us, for our remission, our forgiveness, our cleansing of our sin. And so, Lord, we take it and we drink deeply of your love today. Let's drink. If you can, just bow your heads for a moment. If you're here today and you recognize that you do not know Jesus, that you have not given your life to him, that you've been trying to do your own thing and the graciousness of God has revealed to you that you need to give your life to Jesus. If you're here in this room or online, I'm going to ask you, right where you are, nobody's looking around, to just raise your hand right now. Raise it up to give your life to Jesus. Bless you. God bless you. Just keep it up so I can see you. This is an acknowledgement. Thank you. God bless you. The Bible says that once, you, once the Holy Spirit or reveals to you that you're a sinner, 
because you can't, you can't reveal to yourself that you're a sinner, only he can. That out of Romans 10, it says that if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died and rose again, you will be saved and you'll give your life to him. So we're going to pray with you. And those who raise your hand, or maybe if you didn't, if you still pray this and you believe with all your heart, you will be saved. But we as a church are going to pray with you. So church, and those who raise your hand, let's all pray together. Say, Lord Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. And I acknowledge I need you. Forgive me of my sins. I believe in you. I believe that you came as a babe. I believe that you died on the cross. And I believe that you rose from the dead. And I believe you did it all for me. So I put my trust in you. And I commit my life to you. And from this moment forward, with your help, I am secure. And I'm going to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand today. Thank you, Jesus. If you gave your life to Jesus today and or if you want to give us a prayer request, right in front of you is a card. You can just pull it out. You can fill out the information, check the box, and also, or write your prayer requests on there. When you leave, you can drop them in the white um, baskets when you leave, the white buckets when you leave. Um, God has a plan for you, and we want to help you along that journey. We'll reach out to you and help you there. So let me pray over you today. If you wouldn't mind, just lift your hands as a, an act of surrender to the Lord and an act of worship. Lord, today, as the pastor, I pray that you would bless these people. That, Lord, you would remind them of your great love. That you would give them peace in the midst of whatever storm they're going through. Lord, I ask you today that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would anoint them to be what you've called them to be. And as we all continue on the journey, God, of surrendering to you as a church every day of our lives, God, may you use us to tell other people where they can find you. So, Lord, I bless our parents, our teenagers, our young adults. We bless our toddlers, our adolescents. We bless our grandparents. In the name of Jesus, may you prosper and grow as you follow him. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.